You're listening to the Young Adult Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, challenge you, and lead you closer to Jesus. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. And oh man, Easter weekend was this last weekend, and oh my goodness, after a weekend like this, I, I just come off with such a high, like knowing what Jesus had done, waking up Sunday morning, being able to celebrate as a Christian what he did, like, yo, our God overcame death. Like, what other God has done that? What other God can do that? And so I, I was really, I was celebratory. Like, I, I thought, man, how cool is it that we get to celebrate our king in this way? And, uh, and so this last weekend for me and, and Abby, it was, it was awesome. We had a great time. Saturday, you know, Saturday nights, we try to make it our, like, date night type thing. And so we had an awesome time and everything, and, and we we're kind of setting up for Sunday. And, you know, we had woken up. I, I was super stoked. I was playing, like, old-school Christian rap music, like, about Jesus. And I was, like, bumping it in the car and stuff on the way to church. And, uh, and I had all these plans of what I was going to do yesterday and all the things that I was going to uh, prepare for the, the meal, the feast, the things that me and Abby were going to prepare for. And I was, like, making this this like, whole party almost for just, for Jesus to come in and, and join me and Abby. And it was kind of funny. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you ever been on, like, a trip or maybe it's a holiday or something, and it's, like, such an amazing time. The scenery's great. Everything is awesome. But you just kind of, you're not really there. You kind of miss the moment. And, and so for me, I don't know why, I felt like that was what happened. Like, I, I prepped this whole meal and stuff with Abby, and Man, it's like I invited Jesus and kind of left him at the door. And so I was thinking to myself, man, this is, shoot, I, I woke up today and I was like, yo. Uh, it, it was a little discouraging, but I thought to myself, you know what? Easter isn't just a celebration for one day out of the year. It, it's a celebration that I get to have every single day as a Christian. And so tonight, I hope if you guys have felt the same way, maybe it was just me, I want to carry that into tonight. I want to carry that on our hearts, regardless of what the, the message is speaking to us about tonight. I want us to know that we walk in victory as Christians. We walk with the Savior who gave us grace, who, who has saved us and is sanctifying us as Christians. So, I am so happy to be here tonight. I'm so happy that you guys are here with me tonight. Let's, uh, let's get into James chapter 3, if you will. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, Bibles apps, you guys can open it up there. I'm going to be meeting you in the first verse. But tonight's sermon is called Talk the Walk and Walk the Talk. Okay, Talk the Walk, Walk the Talk. It's kind of self-explanatory from the title, but I want to talk about something first off. Speaking of Easter, Jesus did a whole lot of thing during a lot of things during his ministry. A bunch of things that he was going to do himself, like how he was going to be raised from the dead, for example. And a lot of people just kind of missed what he said. But looking back, we can see all these different things that he had said and the things that he was going to accomplish. And Jesus not only just talked the talk, he walked it. He not only said, I love you, but he demonstrated it by the cross. He not only said that I am here for you, but he bore God himself, came down in flesh to walk among us. He he didn't just talk the talk, he walked it. And so tonight, I hope that we can be challenged in a way. I hope that we not only get challenged in how we talk or how we conduct by our actions, but also what drives those things. 
And tonight I hope we can get into that together. Chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. This, this introduction to this chapter is a sobering moment that James is having with who he is writing to. As he a teacher, he took a step back, not to brag about his position or uh, about where he's at as how holy he is, but rather he took a step back to, to say how everyone stumbles in many ways. But he goes on. He goes on and says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. This right here is a good way to gauge one's spiritual maturity. By what they say and by what they don't say. But our tongue, though it is hard to keep in check, it's very powerful. Verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or ships, take as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire. By hell. The tongue is powerful. What is James trying to demonstrate here? He's trying to say that the course of your life can be taken by a single body part, and that is your tongue. And, and, and we look at things like when God spoke creation into existence too. And, and if we remember how we are created in God's image, we also can imagine how we've been given a sort of power as well. And James is talking about the power that can be used for evil, the power that can take us and be able to create destruction by our words. But God, being in, we being created in God's image, have been able to have the power of words, whether being used for good or for evil. And so we need to watch out for how we use it. Have you ever been told, some, have you ever been told something that has just marked you? Maybe it could be from a parent or a mentor or a friend or somebody who you looked up to. And maybe they had said something negative that has just stuck with you. I have a family member who grew up uh, their entire life being called stupid. They wouldn't call him by his name. They would just tell him, hey, stupid. Hey, stupid, come here. No, stupid, listen. And it was powerful. He started to believe that. So much so that he started even failing school. And eventually they even put him into a disabled class with a bunch of other uh, students who had mental disabilities. And, and he was in there even though he didn't have one. But the words that were put on him were powerful. And this is a true story. Verse 9. With the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This cannot be so. James is not only just talking about how powerful the tongue is at this point. He's talking about us as believers. Saying if we claim to be somebody who lives as for Christ, that means we live as Christ. It doesn't mean that we're going to be contrary to what he did or, or what he said. No, we're going to act in alignment with that. And what does that mean? Loving. So how can we claim to be somebody that we're not acting like, that we're not talking like? Charles Spurgeon is a really cool uh, a pastor back in the day, and he's well-known within the Christian community. He has a really cool quote that I found in relation to this passage. He says this, It would be a monstrosity, a thing to be wondered at and stared at as unnatural and absurd. If a fig tree started bearing olive berries, and it is just as unnatural for a Christian to live in sin. Can he so live as to bear the fruits of iniquity instead of the fruits of righteousness? God forbid that it should be so. And so what's really cool, though, is James takes this section and it's almost like he kind of went on this rant, like this idea of like, oh man, like we need to watch out by what we're saying, by what we're doing, because we are going to be acting like the very people who just killed Jesus. We don't want to be like that. And so he takes this one section and he goes into the next. And I love how self-explanatory this whole chapter is because it's something that we, anybody can read and be like, oh man, like that, that's good. I don't need to come up here and try to explain something or try to define something or, you know, break down this complex idea. No, James is just simply putting it out there. Are you claiming who you are? Are you claiming to be a Christian but yet acting like you're not? Does your talk match your walk? And so he changes, he transitions from there. But before we get into that, I want to point to a verse in Matthew 11. This is where the, the Pharisees have just talked down about John, and they were talking down on Jesus. And D Jesus defends John and himself by saying in verse 18, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But then this is what Jesus says that struck out to me. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So this is where James goes into the next part in verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. James is saying, who is the teacher, the one you would look to as being wise in understanding? Are they, the, are they who you think they are? They should be acknowledged by how they act in humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom not by false humility or arrogance. Wisdom not seeking self-glorification, but only the glorification of God. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. 
they are two ingredients you don't want to bake a cake with. But if you are, neither don't dress it up to make your cake look good or deny the truth that those ingredients are in there. Because when you do, you are lying to yourself about the issues you have, and it will just make the root harder to pull out. If you're struggling with this stuff, James, James is saying, like, don't deny it. That's the last thing you want to do. What James is saying is, if you have issues within your heart that are sinful and not good, and you can acknowledge that, good. At least acknowledge the problem. But bring it forth before a God who loves you and cares for you and who wants to redeem you from that. But I think he goes on and explains that in bitter envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder and evil practice. And it almost brings to mind the movie The Purge. I've never seen this movie before. But I'd imagine that there would be some things in there that we, we could agree would be in this, this idea of chaos and disorder. But I also want to point out that James is talking about the wisdom that you live by. The wisdom that you live by is the wisdom that you're tethered to. And so if you're tethered to demonic wisdom, where is that going to lead you when you're dead? What wisdom are you living by? What are you acting from? But the wisdom that comes from heaven, verse 17, is first of all fruit, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers, who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. And these are things that are pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> things that are, that are pretty self-explanatory. Things that you can look at and be like, all right, these are, are good things to have. But I, I want to consider this, uh, one of the descriptions, being submissive. Uh, are you being submissive to God or yourself? Because if it's to yourself, all the other things it looks like will be in there too. Be submissive to God. Are you acting out of wisdom from God or from man? When, when I was looking over this section of verses, I was thinking to myself, man, what, what a, a simple kind of chapter, really, but what a powerful chapter. I mean, when you look at the world today and you look at the leaders that are leading people, especially in the churches, I want to say, I would say that there's a lot of people who are in a rude awakening when they enter into uh, the judgment day. And I'm just going to be honest. I, I, I say that here and now because I would like to say, oh, man, I know you guys. Like, I, I, you guys are my family, my friends. Like, I know that that would never happen to you. But I also want to say this because I hope that it never does. I, I want to address it here and now because, yes, it's harsh and it's weird and it's something uncomfortable, but, man, it's true. And it's true for me just as much as you. And so when looking at this passage, I, I thought to myself, man, God is going to gather us all from the ends of the earth and we will be held accountable. Every single person on earth, and even more so with us in this room claiming to know Jesus, what did we do with that knowledge, and what did we say? There's this common misconception that we even have as Christians, and I want to address it because I think it can become dangerous. Uh, 
See, some of us believe as Christians in this one phrase, I forget who quoted it, but basically the phrase was, preach to others and if necessary, use words. And it's with the assumption that, oh man, just, just act it out, you know, live it out, and people will give glory to God. People will come to God through your actions. But I think that's only one part of walking it out. And how dangerous if the enemy could make us believe a lie thinking, oh yeah, we don't need to go and tell people, literally. That's the whole reason why Jesus came, was to tell us so that his words, he preached for three years before he was crucified. Why? Because we could write down his words, remember them, and look to his words because of the power that they held. And yes, did his actions line up with it? Of course. I'm not saying one is more important, but I'm saying both are important. But I think we use that phrase and that term or that ideology as a crutch because we can be afraid. But who are we more afraid of, people or God? Why do we live as though Christ didn't die so that he could dwell in us? And for some of us in here, I think we're saying things in church and we're glorifying God with our worship and praise. But what about outside of that? Does our speech match up with that? We acted so we never asked God to come into our hearts to begin with. Do we act as though that we haven't prayed that prayer? Or have you forgotten that he isn't deaf? He isn't deaf to the promises that you made to him. He isn't deaf to the promises to center your life around him. Promises to spend your time with him, to give your life to him. And yet, how come our actions and our speech show the opposite sometimes? Philippians 3.16, Paul is writing to the the Philippians in this, this book. And it's really cool. He has this whole section of him talking about, hey, live as me as I live as Christ. Like, follow me after the prize that I'm, I'm searching for, I'm running towards. But then he says this small little, little verse, and it says this. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And when I read that, it, it was in my men's group, I'll, I'll admit. I, uh, we read that, and I usually don't like to mix my sermons with, with men's group, but... I, I, that really struck me for a second, and I thought to myself, wow, what, what is it that we've already attained? It's the salvation that we have been given. And it made me think, do we live as though we have been saved? Do we live as though Jesus had risen from the dead? He, he came to earth and went to hell and back for us. Do we live as though that is the truth and that there's going to be an end one day to earth? Matthew 11 says this. This was after Jesus just healed a man, and the Pharisees were quick to condemn Jesus, and they used careless words about him. Jesus responds to them, saying, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings forth good things out of the things stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Words are powerful. The tongue, without Jesus, it's impossible to tame. But from your heart flows those words. 
So I want to leave you with a question that is simple, but yet I hope powerful and convicting. It's not my my words. Jeez, I've been, I need to drink some water. My, my tongue's a little dry. But the question is this, where is your heart? Is it far from God? Have you been catching yourself saying things, being led by the words that you've been speaking, being led by the, the heart that you've been having towards a different direction from God? Has your actions and words been lining up together with Christ? Or has it not? Check that. Admit to it. Bring it before God so that he can redeem. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for today. Jesus, if there's anything that we can celebrate in this season, it is you, Lord. It is your power and your resurrection. It's so much, God. And and I pray that knowing all these things about Easter, knowing everything that we just celebrated yesterday and this weekend, God, I pray that it would just be a continual reminder on our hearts of just how powerful and loving and, and personal you are. I pray, God, that you would just move in our lives. Show us the ways that we have spoken empty words to you. Show us the promises that we have made, God, that that we haven't been good on. I pray, Jesus, that you would just redeem those situations. Call us to you. God, help us to give up those things that we need to, to pursue you. We love you, and we thank you.